Pretty Mental is about accepting our full selves and inspiring others to do the same by being daringly unfiltered. This means completely normalizing all things mental health and the wild journey that has brought us here. We are challenging the stigmatization of normal human suffering, and we are done pretending and subscribing to the notion that it is taboo to have challenging mental health experiences. Welcome to the Pretty Mental Health Club, and enjoy the show. Pretty Mental family, welcome back. We have a super exciting guest today. For today's podcast, we interviewed Dr. Kat Meyer. She is a sex and trauma therapist that incorporates ketamine therapy and internal family systems therapy and embodiment therapy and a bunch of juicy, really, really wise practices into the healing journey and bring sexuality into it in such a beautiful, beautiful, refreshing way. Um, This conversation was such a potent reminder of how important it is to feel authentically safe in ourselves and in our body if we want to really be with and freely in a liberated way and express and embody our sexuality. Mm -hmm. So much of what we talked about in this conversation really ties into how to have a safe feeling life, like a very safe feeling nervous system, a liberated life and a liberated sex life. But they're, they're all so tied together. They're not, we can't split them apart. And the root of all of that is truly our nervous systems. Yeah. I love, 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 love that these conversations are starting to happen or have been happening more and more. Um, that sexuality is not this like taboo side, crazy thing, but it is as important as breathing as important as feeling our feet on the ground in order to be fully in this human experience. And to feel safe within ourselves. I just, I love hearing it and witnessing it get tied back into an authentic human experience. Mm -hmm. And with that pretty mental family, take in a deep breath with us. And tune in. We open up the space calling in all parts of ourselves calling in our higher self calling in our spirit guides, our angels, our ancestors, all of the energies that walk with us in this lifetime. We open ourselves up fully for whatever messages want to come through for the highest healing of ourselves, of our community, everyone they come in contact with and for the highest healing of the planet. We root, we open up our hearts, we open up our throats, we open up our minds or whatever beautiful conversation wants to be born today. We open up the space. The portal is now open. Dr. Cat. Dr. Cat. <laughs> What's up? <laughs> Welcome to Pretty Mental. 
Oh, thank you. It's my pleasure to be here. We are so excited to have you. Yeah, we're so excited to have you here today and to engage in this juicy, much needed conversation. So to get going, if you don't mind introducing yourself to our community. Yeah. So I'm Dr. Kat Meyer. I'm a licensed marriage and family therapist, and I specialize in sex, trauma, and ketamine-assisted therapy. I'm also the founder of Sex Love Yoga, which is my company that combines the use of yoga as a medium through which we can evolve our sex, our relationship with our bodies and relationships. And with that, could you dive into a bit of background on how you got to everything that you're doing now and who you are now? Oh, good Lord. Yes. (laughs) We can put that in a nutshell. (laughs) Um, So my my life story, basically, or what inspired me to, to get here Um, I come from some early childhood trauma, some sexual violations, uh, contributing to high, high anxiety, uh, dissociation, depression, uh, eating disorders throughout my child years, teen years, you know, young adult years. And I discovered yoga when I was um, 18, started teaching it at 19. And that was the beginning of noticing how it could feel differently in my body. And so I dove into studying the philosophy of it. And along that path, uh, discovered that, uh, yeah, that there was more, I guess, yeah, that I could feel differently. I could live differently. I could be differently. I could be safer in my body. Um, I decided to be a sex therapist when I was 22. And that was even before I had even had sex before, wow. but I was, I was reading in the magazine and I was like, Oh, they were quoting a sex therapist. And I was like, Oh, there that's, that's a thing. And so I was like, at that moment decided that that's what I was going to do. I was already having such a hard time in relationships. I had a lot of aversion to touch and fear. Um, I didn't feel safe in my body. And so uh, that started the trajectory of, of, um, yeah, reclaiming my body, reclaiming sexuality, um, discovering that healing was on many different levels. I started out very intellectually going to school and getting a degree, getting my doctorate in it. But then I realized that I wasn't embodying the things that I was learning. I was like really good at spitting out information and and statistics and facts from research, but it wasn't, it wasn't shifting what was, what was going on in my body. And so learning about embodiment practices and Tantra, and then I even dove into BDSM and more kink oriented communities. And then I dove into metaphysics and realized that energy was a really palpable, you know, new layer that I wasn't even um, aware of before. And so it kind of, I I feel like I've just been guided along this and following whatever feels interesting. And it's, and it's cool because I hear this a lot from people. It's like in the retrospect, you see how everything connects and how everything has aligned. And so on the other side, I'm like, man, I I just feel like I've been flying by the seat of my fans for the past 34 years. But now on the other side, I'm like, oh, everything feels like they're holding hands and they make a lot of sense here (laughs) now. Man, that's so real. Just to touch on like that little point right there of how like, because I, I feel the same way. And I, everyone that I talk to, like, we're like, what you just take the next best step and somehow it's all going to make sense. But do, does it ever come to a point that it actually makes sense? Maybe looking back, but going into the future, <laughs> I don't know. Um, 
Wow. No, <laughs> I don't think so. <laughs> and I think that's, you know, the part of it is that uncertainty of what you're doing is what I'm investing is what I'm spending. Is it leading to something? And in this culture, you know, there's such a pressure for productivity and, and having a structure and control. And the reality of that is, is that we don't really have that, that that's pretty much an illusion and that we're doing the best that we can. And I think that's where some of our parts can feel anxious or can feel, you know, the, the, the fear of uncertainty, but the reality of that is, is it's, it is an illusion. We're just kind of got to be with those feelings as we continue to lean into the uncertainty. Mm. And how has your practice helped you with feeling safe within your own body? Like how tying in all of your learnings from the the sexual journey, all the learnings from (laughs) all of that, how has that, how do you ease your own nervous system? Oh, that's such a good question. So yeah, as a result of the things that I've experienced in my life, my nervous system can feel really, really sensitive and it can feel, it can get dysregulated, um, uh, fairly easy. So it's, it's a consistent discipline practice in things like yoga, breath work, meditation and meditation where I'm actually focusing on something and not just clearing my mind because it's training that more wild energy inside to, to stay on task with something. So I would say that those practices are consistent, uh, breathe, uh, dance practice is a consistent one too. Um, I also do on a daily basis, uh, self-resourcing practices to help down-regulate my nervous system when I'm noticing that it's starting to hit up against the threshold of what it can tolerate, but just, just more of the consistency of showing up for myself. And I think, uh, and, and I believe, and this is what I do with my clients too, of creating that inner, uh, security with your, parts or with your, um, the aspects of yourself, you know, so that you internally get to see how you can sit, how you show up. You're always there for yourself. You know, I'm always, I'm always there and accepting and loving and, and, uh, um, uh, listening to those parts when they start speaking up and when they start getting loud. So I think all of that, yeah, basic consistency and presence and curiosity with, with whatever's going on helps to, you know, build that, build that trust, (laughs) safety. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, That constant showing up. And we were talking before the podcast about how you're actually an IFS therapist as well, Mm -hmm. um, which is a methodology that's really catching steam because of how accepting it is of our humanity and of every aspect of ourselves. And I think when you're speaking to that consistency, it rings so much truth for me because our inner experience is the relationship we have with ourselves is a relationship mm-hmm. and any relationship in our lives only feels safe when there is consistency there mm-hmm. and people really do show up for us on a regular basis. And I think on this healing journey on like the self growth, even self-improvement journeys, people are so focused on the fixing and getting a particular outcome and they get impatient with, the, with themselves when they get triggered again. Yeah. Um, and, and something we talk about on this podcast all the time is how like it really is more of a tending 
to ourselves on a daily basis. So our body and our spirit and our emotional system really can start to trust that we really are here and we're not Mm going to abandon ourselves. Yeah. Which is all we've been looking for. You know, for so many of us as children, we were, we needed that presence. We needed the consistency. We needed somebody to be attuning to what it is that we needed and accurately attuning. And when I say attuning, like reading our nonverbal, taking into consideration our verbal, what we're, how we're expressing ourselves to be able to get our needs met. Like as children, we're completely dependent on our caregivers and on adults. And so as adults here, you know, are we doing these things for ourselves? Are we reparenting ourselves? Even perhaps even in some areas that were missing as children, you know, not to blame our parents, they're humans and they showed up in the best way that they could too. But how are we showing up to ourselves to do that and be there and presence and curiosity and patience and allowance, those same qualities that we needed when we were younger? Yeah, it's so much more about this being in a good, mentally healthy place. It's so much more about the relationship that we're cultivating with ourselves Mm -hmm. than it is about any, I mean, I find any specific technique or any specific outcome. It really, it's, it's that like, what is that relationship? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And you touch on a really good point earlier of the the definition of healed, I I think we all get attached to this idea of what it means to be healed. And I think we go into coaching therapy program, self-development to get to this end point of healed, meaning like we don't have, there's this, uh, absence of, of pain or this absence of, of, um, dysregulation or, or a negative thought or feeling or memory. And I think that's tripping up a lot of us, you know, we might see, people on Instagram and think, Oh, they're healed. I want to be that, you know, they don't have any sort of problems, but that isn't, I, I think that's more inviting a, a desire to be superhuman versus fully embracing what it means to be in this body and be in this lifetime as a human and a human condition involves like all these different emotions and feelings and pleasures and, and lack of pleasures. And, and that's, you know, how do we embrace that? And how do we be with that uh, versus trying to be alien or something that's beyond, beyond human. So if we readjust that definition of healed as not this absence of, but of this embracing of the embracing the, the romantic element, the beauty element of the mess, (laughs) the beauty element of, of all the ups and the downs and the twirls and the the experiences. Yeah. I've been having this thought lately about how we live in a very linear society, you know, Mm -hmm. from the time that we're babies, we're taught like, okay, this is the next step and the next step and the next step. And then you graduate and then you get a nine to five, and then you get married and kids and retire. And it's like this upward linear journey that does not take into account the multidimensionality that we are. Mm -hmm. And we have layers on layers, you know, it's, we are not these linear creatures. So Mm -hmm. when we focus on 
what we've been told to focus on, we end up ignoring the different layers of who we are. And then we get Mm -hmm. to a point where you hear it all the time. People who are super successful, they've reached, you know, the top of what they think being human is in this lifetime. And then they find themselves like, fuck, I'm empty. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I'll even tie that in with sex too, because we can apply that same model to sex. You know, we're given this model in our culture around what sex is supposed to look like. And it's, uh, it's penetration focused, it's genital focused, orgasm focused. It's, um, you know, how do I get the other person off? (laughs) And that narrows our vision of what sex is supposed to be. And we're driving ourselves towards that fast friction, get there. Right. But we're missing the whole plethora of the journey. We're missing this infinite potential of what sex actually could look like, which would be more what could be more authentic to us, but because we keep forcing ourselves into this, this, uh, socially constructed idea of what sex is, we may be perpetuating unknowingly all these challenges, you know, erection challenges, because we think that we're supposed to just have penetration or women who have vaginismus, you know, painful sex, and they can't have any sort of insertion. So then they say, well, I can't have sex. And then they shame themselves or um, uh, maybe even trans clients who don't even want to involve their genitals in sex. So then they avoid sex altogether, or they say that they're not having sex because they're trying to fit themselves in this idea of what sex is supposed to look like. So I think even there, it's, it's preventing us from being authentic and exploring. Like if we instead redefine sex as everything, uh, including kissing, energy movement, uh, grinding, you know, heavy petting, all of that as sex and even more, you know, it can be whole scenes where there is no genitals involved at all. I'm thinking of BDS scenes or kink uh, play or toys or anything that, that could activate more this primal energy or pleasure, then we're giving space and permission for people to find what is most authentic to them, I think will reduce a lot of the sexual challenges that we have and a lot of the sexual shame that we have that's inhibiting people's access to their own pleasure or access to their own power as a result of that. So I, I think this is across the board. You know, we keep looking at the end point or the product, you know, what we're supposed to achieve and it's, and it's preventing our authenticity. Fully. Yeah, that resonates on so many levels. Um, there's definitely a big focus in a huge focus in our culture around sex being that very limited definition of that one experience where you penetrate or you involve the genitals and you get off and that's it. And Mm -hmm. the, the whole like courting of the relationship and the evolution of the relationship is kind of like geared to that moment. Mm -hmm. And I'm curious, how do you start working with people to help them reframe that? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I start there. <laughs> That's where I start. I think it's important for us to identify the definitions. How are we identifying things in our world? Because we oftentimes don't question definitions. We assume that everybody has the same idea that we do when we use a word. And that's just not the case because we all have our own individual working models and our own schemas or understandings of what things in the world mean. And that includes sex. The word sex, you know, has 
a whole script behind it, depending on what we've experienced in our lives, depending on the messages we receive from our family, depending on um, cultural surroundings, media, um, personal traumas, personal experiences that all hide behind this word sex. And when we start unpacking that and realizing and deconstructing these ideas that we've accepted, but we've never questioned, it empowers us to, to realize that we can redefine sex ourselves into the way that is more, uh, more fitting. You know, I, I oftentimes turn to, to communities and identities that aren't the social norm you know, people who identify as non-binary or gay or trans or uh, questioning, you know, curious. These are the people who, who end up hitting a dissonance of this is what I'm t uh, told that I'm supposed to express myself or believe, but that doesn't feel right in my body. There's something, there's like a nausea or there's a clenching or there's a flutter. Or there's something in here that is hitting up against that. These aren't fitting together. It doesn't go into that nicely, neatly in that file folder. So these are the people that because of that discomfort have to question, what do they believe? You know, but for so many of us who might uh, just more naturally fit into this social norm or this heteronormative uh, concept of, of what sex is supposed to be like, we don't may not question that because it's not uncomfortable for us. It's more natural. But uh, looking to some of these other communities, you know, I think now having more of these conversations around, oh, we can deconstruct, we can question, we can look at that and break it down and see what I believe or feel what, see what feels most alive and most aligned in my body. Um, so I think we can take some of these conversations and be inspired by them. The narratives around everything matter so much, mm -hmm. so much. Yeah. The narratives and then also the inclusion of the body intelligence. So how is mm. your body responding? Because we can tell all kinds of stories. Our brain is really good at it. Mm. But then if we aren't inviting the clenching of the body, the flutters, the expansions, the, the, the body positioning, if we're not inviting that, then we're missing another piece of the intelligence of what's true and authentic in ourselves. Mm -hmm. It's so, it ties so deeply into, yeah, back to our bodies of needing also to feel safe. Like safety is the root chakra. Number one, before we can expand into anything else. Yeah. Yeah. And if we're not understanding why the body or what the body's picking up in our environment or in our internal landscape around what's not safe, you know, what's dangerous or what's, what feels a threat, then we're not going to be able to understand what we need and we'll keep pushing through or hyper-focusing beyond what our body needs. And we're going to completely, again, miss the point. And so I'll speak for myself. I have um, an autoimmune um, uh, reaction of my body. And so if I'm not paying attention, then, I'll, then I can easily fall into this. And I think many people can fall into this nervous system reaction, gets stuck on this, you know, heightened state of arousal or exhaustion or adrenal fatigue or, or, uh, IBS, you know, stomach, stomach aches, which I struggled with for years and years and years. Uh, but if we're not tuning into these symptoms as parts inside of us that have been trying to get our attention for a long time, but we're overriding them for something else like productivity or outcome or, 
or uh, something that's, you know, quote unquote, more desirable or socially acceptable, then we're never going to create that safety inside of ourselves. We're just trying to push through it and ignore it, but that doesn't help us. Right. It's the difference between seeing the body as a problem or as a source of information. I think that especially when it comes to sex, um, we can easily fall into the trap or the pattern of overwriting what our body is saying for the sake of gaining connection. Yes. Yeah. And you know, what's so funny. It's not funny. Um, it's very interesting. I was in a conversation with a woman the other day and a dear friend, and we were talking about our dating lives and she was sharing about how, um, we were talking about kissing and, um, she doesn't stop the guy from kissing her if she doesn't want to be kissed. And I, and I just kind of nod in my head. I, and, and, uh, cause for me, I remember going through something like that younger, but realizing that as a culture, us women, especially women and femme have been conditioned to put up with discomfort, to push through, to ignore the, the, the feelings in our body in order to preserve a connection with somebody or to not hurt somebody's feelings, to not make somebody feel to not to make them feel uncomfortable. So how are we seeing? And this is, again, I say this in a place to not shame or blame ourselves, but to see that there's a macro influence on us of, of, um, suppression and pushing through in order to, yeah, preserve a relationship or to not let somebody be mad at us or be hurt. And now we feel the discomfort of their hurt. So there's even powers beyond us that are influencing us that I think we need to deconstruct and realize so that we're not so hard on ourselves and and shaming ourselves for falling into these patterns too. How do you think? Go ahead. I was just gonna say, I think it takes a lot of strength and commitment to the self to be willing or to stand in that truth of like, my body doesn't want to do this and I'm going to risk losing connection uh, for that. I think something else we've talked about on this podcast too, which I'm sure you're familiar with is just how like so very early on, so many of us learn to abandon ourselves and our needs in order to be able to stay in connection to our primary attachment figures or to our community. Yeah. Um, And what a clever solution as children that we develop that because again, we're so dependent upon our parents and caregivers and adults around us. And so as a child, when that resource isn't accessible, we have to resource ourselves. And so it becomes a solution that we do in order to survive. And so that's very clever as a child, and it still can be useful at times and as adulthood, but now it's learning how to discern when that part or when that solution is more uh, of a benefit and when it becomes collateral damage uh, in causing some other, some other damage there, and it's not as effective. So as, um, you know, as we think about surpassing our body and what our body's trying to talk to us, we can feel a visceral betrayal in our body. I have so many students, so many clients who tell, who, who tell me stories about this, you know, where they just, 
Uh, and my God, I can even speak for myself, you know, where I'm in my head, I'm like, I'm safe. It's okay. You're okay. You're not in that past experience where I'm thinking I'm titrating. <laughs> I'm thinking like, I'm telling myself that was then this is now that was then you're safe here, but it's actually <laughs> a part of me. That's just trying, that's trying to override the reality of this is a touch or a kiss or a sexual advance that I don't want. And that's okay. And it's more than okay. That's what I actually need. I need to say no. And it doesn't matter what the rationale, it doesn't matter if it doesn't make sense. The reality of it is, I don't want it. (laughs) And so uh, when we override that, and I'll again speak for myself, yeah, it feels like a bit self-betrayal. When I ignore the body, it's like the greatest betrayal, what it feels like in my own system. And when we're working through that in retrospect to remember that that part came online as a way to take care of us and to protect us in that moment. And it thought that it was using the best way possible. And, and it just so happened to, uh, with its best intentions, not land in the way that we needed it to. And so now we begin again, and now we begin with okay, I'm learning, I learned, and I'm taking that lesson to move forward with it. How do you suggest we begin to feel safe within our bodies or under speak to our bodies, listen to our bodies and actually listen to them? Mm, That's such a good question. I take my clients through a process of starting small as we progress onto that. But the very first practice is just noticing, you know, just getting to the practice of noticing how your body contracts, expands, flutters, how it responds throughout your day, because we are all very dynamic humans. We change moment to moment throughout a single day. We change uh, from day to day, month to month, year to year. Um, across our lifetime. And so we're not static creatures. So to remember that first, and then tune into noticing the different textures of your body throughout the day. And then I introduce about, uh, I, I teach them about the nervous system activation and how, you know, that fluctuates and how we're a lot more, the nervous system becomes more sensitive, the more stressors are in our environment, especially during the pandemic. And all the things that were going on, both politically, culturally, even interpersonally, and how all of that impacted, you know, our sensitivity to our nervous system. And then just honoring that we will need more during times where there's more stressors on us. And so it's not that we can, again, be superhuman and push through and do whatever we can. It's like, no, I have limits. I'm not boundless and infinite in my in my resources, I'm a human who actually has limits. What do I have available for myself? And so noticing and then practicing sitting with yourself. So I love journaling practices for clients and for myself too, to just start making sense of what's there. You know, what, what's attached to some of these sensations? Are there thoughts, feelings, memories? Are there Um, expectations, are there desires, are there fears? And so getting in tune with and writing out the voices that are present in your body can really help you to detangle sometimes that feeling of chaos or, or um, crowdedness in your body. So I, you know, doing practices to sit 
breathe, create some spaciousness inside your body um, to, so that you can actually hear what's going on inside of there. So I would say that that would be like the beginning stages of that. And then the consistency with that can help you to, to, yeah, strengthen that relationship with them. I have times where, um, I is to this day, you know, I'll be out and, uh, in a public space and maybe I don't have a journal available to me to be able to sit down and be like, Oh, let's see, let's write out all the parts in here, but I will leave a whole experience and go outside and go for a walk, or I will go into the bathroom and sit (laughs) on the toilet and not do anything else, but just sit in the middle of a party and, and just be like, okay, what parts are here? (laughs) What? Let's see. Let's see who's here. Let's see who's present and invite the part forward and have a full on fucking dialogue (laughs) with a part in the bathroom in the middle of a party. And then only come out when I feel like that part of me feels heard. So I've had experiences where friends come and find me and, and be like, where'd you go? And I'm like, I just had to have a conversation with my parts. I'll be back in a moment. <laughs> but that develops that, that uh, strength and security with myself again. But how can we create that for ourselves in exactly what we need instead of blaming ourselves or expecting ourselves that we have to be somewhere else? Like I, I'm an expert at this. I've been doing this for God, like 15 years. And, and I still have moments and I still take myself to the bathroom and sit there and talk to my parts. Oh my God. Fully. I mean, like I, I believe we are experts in our field of the thing that we need most. And like, we've heard that before. I didn't make that up, you know, but it's the, like, I'm like, I have a very, I do breath work and I have a very, very sensitive nervous system. Yeah. I am constantly having to be like, okay, let's calm down. Like where, how do you feel? I will not abandon you. We are here. We will take care of you. You know what I mean? I don't think we ever get to this like guru level where we're just spitting out facts, but we're now floating high in the light and not it's the human journey. But I love so much of what you just said, because it, it takes us back to the fact that we are these multidimensional beings who have layers to us and We've been told that life is this upward trajectory, but really it's sitting with ourselves in every stage and getting to know ourselves in every stage and seeing what opens up and shows up for us in every single stage. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And those are my favorite teachers, truthfully, the ones who are like, yo, I just had a meltdown yesterday and this is what I did to just like move through it. I'm still feeling it, you know? So I I love the people who teach like that because it's, I can relate. We all can relate. Nobody can connect with perfection. And it's funny how there's a part inside of many of us who believe that if I'm perfect, I'll be loved. I'll be taken care of, you know? And, and I, I don't subscribe to that because who can connect with that? Nobody is actually perfect. And, and, and it play, it creates such a pressure on everyone around to have to maintain that or, or, um, keep up with that in order to connect. But what we really want is vulnerability. We want softness. We want to, and I don't mean soft as in like not speaking your mind and being fiery, but I mean, soft as in, uh, yeah, owning, owning that we have challenging parts in humanness mm-hmm. <laughs> meltdowns. <laughs> yeah. yeah. The, the one thing about that perfection thing is that by mm-hmm. wanting to 
be perfect in order to be loved and be accepted. We actually create situation situations for ourselves where we're not going to get to experience belonging because if we are welcome into a relationship or into a community based on this image, mm -hmm. then you have to keep it up and you end up feeling even more loved. I mean, more unloved and you end up feeling mm -hmm. more, whatever shame is inside of actually ends up growing mm -hmm. because you actually, then you have to work harder to keep that up and you have to dissociate from yourself in order to try to, to maintain a connection that's based on the illusion of perfection. <laughs> yes. Oh, that, Ooh, I feel good tingles in my body. That felt good. Yes. <laughs> yeah. 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 It's it's, and we're exhausted. You know, it's, it's exhausting to keep that up and we all want to be allowed and accepted exactly as we are. And, and parts of us are worried that we're not going to be taken care of. We're not going to be, it, be loved if we don't do this, that, or the other. Like love is conditional. And, and hopefully we're, you know, inviting that in this conversation that, that we can undo those. We can, we can be ourselves, but it's going to take time. And yeah the more that we begin to see ourselves and allow more parts of ourselves to be, to be seen, then our sex mm -hmm. life really also like tying it directly back into that really opens up because when we feel safe to express the parts of us that feel pleasure or move our bodies in a specific way without thinking of what it looks like, but just having it be like a dance and organic, then mm -hmm. we start opening ourselves up to to liberated sex. Mm -hmm. Totally. Totally. It's like how many of us are spectating in our minds, meaning we're, we're being witness and in an inner, uh, inner commenting about ourselves during sex or before sex of, you know, I'm too fat or they're going to think I'm fat or they're not going to think that I orgasm fast enough, or they're going to think that I'm not good at this. Or if I get on top, I'm not going to know what I'm going to do. And, and we freeze. <laughs> we freeze in the body, we clench in the body, we tense, or we try to hold our bodies in position so that we look skinnier. And none of that helps our sex. None of that helps our pleasure or experience of, um, of our, of sex or of our orgasmic potential. Like orgasms actually require us to be relaxed. Pleasure actually requires us to be relaxed. The more that we're relaxed, our sensory receptors open in our body. Um, the muscles and the blood flow can, um, uh, can increase so that our sensitivity and our arousal increases. And so if we're clenching, tensing, holding tight, holding ourselves in certain positions, we're not allowing the body to, yeah, to move the way it needs to, or um, enjoy the pleasure that it needs to, or to contract like from orgasms that it needs to, cause you're already holding it tight. And so if we instead shift ourselves, and this is going to take practice away from orgasm being our outcome or performance being our outcome, and instead shift into the intention of pleasure being our compass then we allow ourselves to drop in and, and tune into what feels good instead of what looks good or what's going to get them off or what's going to get me off. And it becomes, like you said, this dance, this organic dance of, of feeling 
instead of uh, instead of achievement. And that again comes back to the de- definition of sex. You know, some of my best sexual experiences were not a physical orgasm, but was an energetic full body orgasm. We didn't even have penetration. We were moving our bodies and getting lost in this insane meditative experience of rolling and moving and undulating and breathing. And just that was like a peak orgasmic experience. And I've, I've had that many times now since having that first experience, but only because that helped me to create a reference point of, oh, sexes can be different. And this actually feels more organic. And, and then it can lead to penetration if that feels right, but it doesn't even have to. And that can break away um, from, from this definition. But I, I just said something I want to highlight of many of us struggle with or want struggle with allowing ourselves to go there or doing that type of practice because we don't have a reference point for that. You know, we only have references to this type of sex or this definition of sex or, or doing your performance. And so we have to sometimes by listening to people talk about their experience or reading about it or, li- or uh, reading blogs, podcasts, you know, going into your curious exploration, can we start to gather reference points from other people and then create, you know, expansion of our own internal working model of, okay, sex can be different. But before my experience of BDSM or Tantra, you know, and really immersing myself in those communities, I, I had no reference point. So how could I access that until I heard or experienced or saw, watched people experience that for themselves uh, before that could be a possibility in my mind? Yeah. And so many of the narratives that have been placed upon us over what sex looks like and and what pleasure is, we have Mm -hmm. to really get curious about them because it's so worth it. I was watching this Netflix show. It's a new sex Netflix show. I don't know. I forget what it's called, Mm -hmm. but they were talking. The one on pleasure. Yeah. 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 And and they were talking about the orgasm gap between Mm, men and women. And then also talking about how women don't feel right to their, yeah, well, this is why the women don't feel right to their pleasure because it's been taken from us through the history. Yeah. Yeah. For many reasons too. So, so one piece of that is that, you know, again, we've, we, as women have been culturally conditioned to put up with discomfort, to, to, um, you know, please other people to not hurt other people's feelings, but also the, in our medical system, we've been taught a very male oriented model around sex, like the very common stages of arousal is male based, you know, that moves from, uh, arousal to plateau, to orgasm, to rest period. But for women, we, or I I will say vulva owners, because there's many people who are non-binary and femme who don't identify as women, but um, have vulvas. Our cycle of arousal is actually more circular with many little squiggle lines out because we tend to be very, um, uh, can be more sensitive to contextual factors or miseducation or uh, worry about, you know, the, the status of the relationship. There's a lot more there that can impact our arousal. Similarly, 
Uh, arousal can happen before we even desire sex. So sometimes it, we don't desire sex until we're turned on and then it, progressing through our stages of arousal. So I, I think there's this uh, influence of misinformation and misrepresentation around sex on women. And, and uh, that can really mess with our ability to yeah, to know what it is that, that we need or push our pussy faster than what, what she's ready for, you know, and let's go straight into penetration because that's what I'm supposed to do. That's what sex is, but she's not even ready. She's not wet enough. She is tight. She's not, you know, she's not ready for it, but we push ourselves because of this image and expect ourselves to be there. Well, why do we struggle? So many women struggle with orgasm, struggle with um, uh, desire for sex, struggle with painful sex. And it's because of this, you know, the orgasm gap is a direct result of all of this miseducation and misrepresentation around sex. And so we're forcing, we're putting our bodies through something that isn't, that isn't uh, accurate for us. She actually, when the pussy's ready, not always is she wet. <laughs> there is, there is this, um, challenge of what we call discordance, which means that the brain is in, uh, is not in connection with the body's response. So you might mentally be turned on, but your body's not responding in the same way, meaning she may not be wet or she may not be open, um, or, and vice versa, the body might respond to something that's sexually stimulating, but the brain isn't turned on. So so that just gives us an indication that um, uh, that wetness isn't necessarily a good measurement of, of turn on. So I just want to preface with, with that. Uh, but also, she, your pussy, when she is ready, and I, when she is ready, really big neon lights, she will open and receive whatever is there you know, whether that's a hand, a cock or a, or a dildo, a toy when she's ready, but not sooner. So sometimes like it, we experience this, I, and many of us, and I'll um, even admit for myself, you know, will push something through and you can feel a tension. You can feel a discomfort or even pain in that until you push through and you're like, okay, okay, finally. We're, all right. We're in. So this will be easier but then it's not as pleasurable because she's not turned on enough. Your pussy hasn't said yes, fully yet, but we're making her be ready sooner than she is, but she will actually just like suck it in <laughs> when she's ready and not anytime sooner. They, what they were saying in there and what you're talking about right now is just making me realize even deeper about our multidimensionality because on the Netflix show, they're talking about how they've had, um, how we've gotten ourselves off has been through porn, but porn is very much through the male gaze. Porn some is porn. not some porn, some yeah. porn. There definitely yeah. are new, newer, modern, mm -hmm. um, feminist based porn. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But for a really long time, that's what it was. And they mentioned Dipsy. Mm hmm and how women are also very turned on through listening, through yeah. audio versus visuals. And they, I mean, I got Dipsy right after that, after I watched <laughs> that show. And uh -huh. I was like, this is, a, this is, they, this is amazing. Like it's, we have these new tools that are giving us our liberated 
power back because we're now engaging all these different sides of who we are versus thinking we just have to be wet and ready right then instead Mm -hmm. of knowing that we want to feel safe, that we want to feel, you know, we want to work up to it. We want to feel stimulated through what we hear. We want to like all of engaging all of our senses. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I love audio porn for that. (laughs) I actually have a podcast called erotically, um, erotically wasted and it's five minutes of erotic stories. Um, that it can be a powerful way for you to stay in your body and stay in your senses and allow fantasy to, you know, to occur around you. I I think that there is a lot of misunderstanding around porn in general. And I really like to, to, to highlight that because it, it gets a bad rep and that's only a portion of porn. We have to remember that porn has been around for centuries. We see it in, um, ancient Egyptian, um, uh, you know, art or Chinese art, Taoist art, especially, you know, the, the, um, Kama Sutra even. So it's been around forever. (laughs) It's not that it's just this new modern day piece, but what we have seen in more modern day, like uh, age of the internet and, and videos is that it's more male oriented. And so there isn't the accurate descriptions around female arousal cycle or female orgasm. It's more geared towards men. Now, women I love porn too. Like we love fantasy too. And we can be visually stimulated too. And it's important. And I love seeing this movement around both educating around porn so that we become more conscious consumers of it so that we're not consuming junk food that is perpetuating, you know, unethical um, and male oriented type of uh, porn but we're having feminist porn um, directors like Erica Lust step forward and and depict more artful type of porn or um, all of her scenes are real female orgasm and honoring the foreplay and the buildup and the arousal cycles of women. So, and treat her uh, her actors and actresses with with um, uh, ethically and with respect. And so the more that we become mindful, just as we do our food and our nutrition, the more that we become mindful with what we're consuming, the more that we can support our sex life rather than uh, hurt it. And again, this is inviting more of a harm reduction um, attitude for, you know, because porn's out there and it's okay to use it, but how mindful are you in, in the consumption of it? I think that's really important. Yeah, no, thank you for that. And I, we're getting close up to the hour and I, we have just, I know, oh my gosh, we have a few questions from the audience, um, that I wonder if we can touch on. And one of them is, um, compulsive sexuality versus liberated sexuality. What is the difference and how do we tell the difference within ourselves and others? Oh gosh, that's a good question. And one that's a little, let's see if I can condense that. Um, so compulsive sexuality is a, it's a, it's a nuanced piece truthfully. So when I'm working with clients around that and I invite their parts to come forward and answer for them. So sometimes if there's a part that expresses that, um, they, use sex, sex has become a, um, a developed solution for them to get love, 
to preserve attend to uh, to preserve love, to preserve belonging in a group, or they've used they've overdeveloped their sex sexuality to um, to create worth for themselves. Then then we might say that that would be a compulsive sexual experience, meaning that there isn't a it's coming from a, a firefighter part or a part that is trying to quickly. Um, uh, squash whatever stress or anxiety or fear is there. Um, liberated sexuality would be more of the nuance of uh, an expansion of the body, a relaxed sensation of the body, an authentic expression of, uh, and a discernment. I think really emphasizing the discernment there, meaning that you can be in your sexual energy, but you're not you're not putting it on to somebody or trying to enroll somebody or persuade somebody. It's more of a, uh, you're able to contain and hold your energy while you're moving about the world. Um, so I, I would just have invite the person to tune into the texture of that. You know, how is their body responding? And then sit with a journal and really speak to the parts of them that are in that in that sexual energy, because there, they can look the same. It can look the same, but it might feel different in a person. Um, and there might, their parts might have uh, a yeah, a different um, perspective of what what it is that they're using that sexual energy for. Mm, that's yeah, important. And, wow. And I think for like the liberated sexuality piece too. Um, being able to make sure that the experience or the partner you're going to engage in it with is really, truly a safe person. Yeah. Discernment. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And can you say no? Can you mm -hmm. say no? Or do you allow that energy to make the decisions for you? That's a difference there. Do you find yourself falling into these experiences or just going with the flow and allowing it to move you versus you harnessing it and containing it and, and saying yes and no from a discerning aware place. God, so important being able to be acutely aware of the different messages that our bodies are sending us and the energy. Yeah. Cause we can, we can, when we start to speak the, the language of energy and, and become really attuned to it in our specific energy. We know, we know, we know. Yeah. It's just, can we trust it? And yeah. I guess that goes, that goes back to the, to the daily returning to ourselves. Yeah. Um, cause before we, I think before we can say no, before we can really be discerning, we have to feel safe in ourselves and we have to feel like we belong in ourselves or else we're vicariously trying to find belonging out there. Yeah. And that gets in the way of an authentic no or an authentic yes. Yeah. Yeah. Or we fall into, Oh, I love that. What you just said. And, and we fall into this group think mentality of like, what's the group doing? What's going to get me to stay, you know, versus what do I need? what's true for me? What's my yes or no? And that's going to take time. Like, you know, we're de-threading from so many, you know, inter-influencing, especially if we're used to making decisions based through other people instead of ourselves. So it takes yes. time. Yeah. Okay. I think especially, 
last thing, especially as women, um, the lineage of it's it, in our DNA, probably just the lineage of so many women being disconnected from their authentic yeses and nos that it has to be a very patient process of reclaiming that. And we have yeah. to be so compassionate with ourselves as we move along that, that journey. Cause it didn't start yesterday. No. <laughs> okay. I want to make sure that we get in, tell us about anything that is going on with you right now that we can dive into your, um, that we can go deeper on any courses or any what's happening yeah. in Dr. Cat's world. <laughs> a lot. <laughs> um, yes. Yeah, so I am running a six week course on eroticism and sex for feminine women. And so that is a very comprehensive trauma-informed uh, practice. I actually include a lot of IFS in there as well to teach you about that discernment. Um, so that's called erotically undone. Um, I also have uh, my private practice and I've got retreats that I'm about to announce. So, so there's, there's always something going on, whether it's an online place where you can come and work with me or, um, or in-person practices as well. And where can we find all of that? At sexloveyoga.com or follow me on Instagram at sexloveyoga. Okay, amazing. Yay. Mm. What an amazing conversation. Mm. Really that was so you. good. I know. I was like, okay, we're going to j- jump in here and talk about like crazy juicy stuff. And I like love the route that it took, which is <laughs> so, so true to what all of us, you know, love and stand for is the nervous system regulation part that allows the liberation of everything else. Yeah. That that's solid foundation. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And we like to guess our um guest zodiac signs. So Okay, here we go. Which zodiac which one are we doing? Are we doing Vedic or are we doing western? Oh, western. Western. <laughs> western. For western. sure western. Not for sure cuz I it's cuz I don't know much about Vedic. Um, yeah. Not cuz western is better. <laughs> Um, Paula, do you want to go? Okay. I'll say the first thing that pops in my head is Gemini. Okay. Okay. That's the third one that popped in my head. I was <laughs> getting, um, like Capricorn or Virgo vibes from you. Wow. Nope. Leave None that. of them. Oh my God. <laughs> God bless me. I got to delete all the times that I guess wrong. If I ever try to be an astrologer, cause this is not okay. <laughs> wow. And oh, what's your Libra moon and the Libra is that balance. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. Yeah. Libra. Um, my moon is Leo and my rising is Pisces. Uh, mm. Okay. I could see the Leo too. The hair. <laughs> Yeah. Mm-hmm. And big hair, big personality. Big hair, big Paula Zilio. She's in that one. I'm like, I don't know why I waved to me. <laughs> um, and the last, the very last thing that we'd love to ask is what does mental health mean for you right now? What does mental health mean for me? Um, it means really taking the time to be with those parts and slowing down and letting them lead the way versus my head lead the way. (laughs) I love that. Okay. Beautiful. Thank you so much. Mm -hmm. Thank you.
Yes. Thank you for taking this time with us. That was such a beautiful, beautiful conversation that I know is going to be so important for so many of our listeners to tune into. Mm, Thank you. Bye everyone.